Hi, this is Jerry Britt, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, January 28th. It's my joy and happy place to be with you today because this, this is your Sunday sermon. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian known for his opposition to the Nazi regime. He was imprisoned in Buchenwald and executed in 1945 for his part in a conspiracy to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Listen to what he wrote in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. Cheap grace is a grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Welcome to part four of our sermon series, Discipleship Matters. Have you ever had to count the cost of something before you actually did it? Usually we think about that when considering a major purchase or repair. We want to know what it's going to cost us in dollars and time. And that kind of decision always impacts the family in one way or the other. For many, nothing comes before family, not even God. While the family is certainly foundational, as we'll find out today, Christ must come first in any and all things, beloved. Let's pray and we'll talk more about it. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we celebrate you. We are so honored to be with you today once again. For all that have come to be in person or to watch this video or to listen to the podcast, God, we give you glory for them and their families. Lord, I pray that we would just have ears to hear today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. So far in this series, we've defined a disciple as someone who lovingly follows Jesus and intentionally helps others follow him. Two weeks ago, we learned that a disciple grows in God's word. They show God's word in their lives by their actions. They know the truth of God's word because they know the Lord personally. And lastly, they go and spread the good news to others. Last week, we established that loving like Jesus loves is the hallmark trait of a disciple. Our passage for today is Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. It's very pointed, it's powerful, it's stunning, and it's shocking. These words spoken by Jesus are difficult, they're demanding, they're abrupt and offensive, and they run counter to our Christian subculture. In fact, you may find yourself pushing back a little bit during the sermon today, and I encourage you to resist the urge to dismiss these demands and allow their full force to jar you out of complacent and comfortable Christianity. Let's start together by reading Luke 14, 25 to 27. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Let me make two observations before we dive into this today. Number one, this is an urgent evangelistic message. In context, Jesus just finished telling a parable about the importance of inviting people to his banquet. Listen to what Luke says just a few verses earlier in verse 23. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone you find to come so that the house will be full. And number two, this is a demanding discipleship passage. 
Jesus also gives some conditions to those who are considering following him. The word disciple is found at the end of verse 26. Go back and take a look at that. It says, you cannot be my disciple. And in verse 27, you cannot be my disciple. And if you keep on reading, you're also going to find the word disciple in verse 33, which says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. A disciple is a learner or follower who was used to describe someone who was totally committed to a cause or a person. It comes from another word, which means to learn by practice or experience. Now, as we've said multiple times in recent weeks, a disciple, much like an apprentice, is one who emulates the teacher. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus is more interested in having committed followers than he is in drawing a crowd of fickle fans. He wants quality over quantity. The main point he's making is while the family is foundational, following Christ must come first. Now, having said all that, there's four discipleship demands that we find in today's scripture passage. Let's take a look. Here's the first one. From the crowd to being committed. Look at verse 25. It sets the scene. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them. Now, Jesus often drew crowds. We know that but he was never interested in being popular. This phrase refers to many multitudes or large throngs of people, many of whom traveled with Jesus as he went along. Now Luke chapter 12 verse 1 gives us a description of how crushing these crowds were. It says, Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling around and stepping on each other. And Jesus knew that many in the crowd were just following him for selfish or superficial reasons. So in the midst of all that fanfare, Jesus turns to them, which was actually a really dramatic act. It has the idea of twisting forcibly with a deliberate effort. The same word was used to describe how Jesus locked eyes with Peter after he denied him in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, where it says, And the Lord turned and looked to Peter. What did Jesus want to tell them? He for sure didn't give them positive memes so they could have their best life now, I can tell you that. Now the next discipleship demand is to choose or prioritize faith over family. How would you respond if Jesus spun around right now, right this very minute, locked eyes with you and stated, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Now, let me remind you, these words come from Jesus himself. They're intended for each and every one of us. If you want to be my disciple, this is personal, folks. This is not just a call to missionaries or pastors or to the super spiritual. Often Jesus used figures of speech to make an unforgettable impact. An example of this kind of gripping hyperbole is Matthew 5, verse 30, which says, And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman writes, I'm not mistaken in saying that Christianity is a demanding and serious religion. When it is delivered as easy and amusing, it is another kind of religion altogether. The crowd wanted what they thought Jesus would give them, not knowing that following Jesus would cost them everything. Now let's allow the demands of discipleship in this passage to just shock us. Let it rock us today. Imagine how offensive this statement would have been to those in a culture where honoring parents was the highest obligation and family was one's greatest joy. By the way, you can't say you have discipleship down just because you hate your brothers or sisters. It's important to know a common Jewish view was that the Messianic era would be preceded by a time of disharmony in family relationships. So with these weighty words, 
Jesus was announcing he was the Messiah and referencing Micah chapter seven, verse six, it says, for the son despises his father, the daughter defies her mother, the daughter-in-law defies her mother-in-law. Your enemies are right in your own household. Now, back in verse 26, Jesus said, if we wanted to be his disciples, then we would have to do what? We would have to hate everyone else. The word for hate means to detest or abhor. Jesus is not saying we are to act in a hateful way toward our families. The Bible is clear. We are to honor our parents, Exodus 20, verse 12. Husbands are to love their wives, and wives are to respect their husbands, Ephesians 5.33. Dads are not to exasperate their kids, Ephesians 6.4. Mothers are to love their husbands and children, Titus 2.4. And grown children are to care for their parents when they no longer can do that, 1 Timothy 5.8. Our challenge, beloved, is to understand this cultural expression without diluting the demands of discipleship. The bottom line is, since there will inevitably be conflict between following Christ and family ties, we must prioritize faith over family. The word hate in the Bible, it often expresses priority and preference, not emotional hatred. In Hebrew, the word hate can mean to love less. J. Vernon McGee offers this insight. A believer's love for Christ should be such that by comparison, it looks as if everything else is hatred. Warren Wiersbe says, our love for Christ must be so strong that all other love is like hatred in comparison. The emphasis here is on the priority of love, and that's what we talked about last week. That's what Jesus explains in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, a parallel passage, and it says, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. In the world of the Bible, they didn't have lukewarm words for liking someone. They had just two choices, love or hate. We see this in Genesis 29, verses 30 through 31, where it says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and the next verse describes her as being hated. It's clear Jacob loved Rachel more, so in comparison, Leah was unloved. Jacob did not detest or have any hostility toward her. Now, having said all of that, Let's not minimize the cost of your relationships with family members when you faithfully follow Christ. For some of you, your faith has already led to some family feuds. Maybe your parents don't understand your faith, or your spouse doesn't share your spiritual priorities, or your children think you're too fanatical. After Peter mentioned how much they had left in order to follow the Lord, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. We're called to love and live for Christ first and foremost, even if our families don't follow him. Whatever you've lost because of Christ, beloved, you will, as the scripture just said, receive now in return a hundred times as many brothers, sisters, mothers, and children. So where do you get that many siblings and parents anyway? In the church, that's where. Your faith family is meant to be more substantial than the genetic bonds of a physical family relationship. It doesn't matter today if you're here by yourself or you're engaging online alone. If you're a child or a teenager, single or married, divorced or widowed or an empty nester, we are family. Come on, you know the song, We Are Family. One of my favorite family songs is the beautiful song by the Gaithers, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. Now, before leaving the theme of family and faith, Kevin DeYoung describes two extremes related to our families. Number one, family as nothing. 
He calls this the family straitjacket, where the family curtails what we really want to do. In this view, kids are to be seen and not heard, or maybe not even seen. And the other view is family is everything. If the sin of parents a generation ago was to ignore their family, today it's to make children our idols. A third discipleship demand is to commit to Christ. Now, once again, Jesus hits at the very heart of human relationships to make sure following him comes first. Then he brings it closer to home by challenging us to lay aside our personal ambitions, goals, and our very lives. Look at verse 26 of the text. It says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Yes, even your own life. Matthew demonstrated this by leaving his old life when he was called by Jesus in Luke 5, 28, and leaving everything he rose and followed him and said, it's easy to be a fickle fan. It's much more difficult to be a faithful follower. Corey Tenboom, the Dutch survivor of Nazi gas chambers, once told a fascinating story. She said that a group of believers were meeting behind the Iron Curtain when the church door burst open and two Russian soldiers with guns stormed inside. They said that they would give five minutes for anyone who wished to renounce Jesus Christ as Lord to leave, but those who stayed would be shot immediately. As each person in the church searched his heart for courage to face a cruel death, a few got up and walked out. The officers then walked to the door of the church and locked it. They stared silently at the scared congregation and said, Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are believers too, but we did not want to worship in a church where everyone was not completely committed to Christ and willing to die for him. May we become part of your fellowship. Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle once said, It costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be lukewarm as a Christian, to go to church is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, follow Christ, believe in Christ, and confess Christ requires much self-denial. It will cost us our sins, our self-righteousness, our ease, and our worldliness. All must be given up. Our Lord Jesus Christ would have us thoroughly understand this. He bid us count the cost. Beloved, a commitment to Christ is costly. And the last discipleship demand from our scripture today that I want to share with you is this. Surrender to the Lord's supremacy. Drop down to verse 27. It says, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now this phrase, carry your own cross, it is often misinterpreted. It does not mean to endure a particular long-term hardship, although Jesus' followers are often called to do that. It means to be willing to follow Jesus, even if it means death. Losing a job, a business, or social media account is not the same thing. The persecution Jesus is talking about is physical death, the horrors of which pale in comparison to the spiritual life God promises. Unfortunately, we've romanticized the cross and turned it into something we put on walls or wear around our necks. Let's remember the cross was carried by condemned criminals and ended with a humiliating and excruciating execution. Everyone knew the person was saying goodbye to everything and there was no turning back. According to our Savior, discipleship must involve death of self. Our independence, our agenda, our expectations, and we're going to talk more about that next Sunday. Speaking of being completely committed to Christ, Revelation 12 verse 11 says, And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Beloved, are you willing to renounce every person, every possession, and especially yourself in order to follow Christ? What's keeping you from following fully? Is it commitment? Is it an unholy habit or an ungodly relationship? Is it a sinful pleasure? Revelation chapter 2 addresses the church in Ephesus. In the beginning, they were doing really good things. They worked hard, patiently endured suffering, would not tolerate evil, and would not quit in their pursuit of God. But then in verse 4, it says, 
but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. In other words, they lost and or abandoned their first love, Jesus. Then in verse 5, Jesus challenges them, Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Beloved, if you have lost your first love, then remember, repent, and repeat. I like how one pastor summarized this passage. He said, Salvation is absolutely free, and yet it costs you your very life. You receive it freely at no expense to you. But once you receive it, you have just committed everything you are and have to Jesus Christ. Beloved, the best gift you can give to your family is to make your faith and their faith your top priority. The family is foundational, as I've said, but following Christ must come first. Now, I don't know about you, but these are some pretty serious and challenging discipleship demands here in Luke 14, verses 25 to 27. Once again, let me recount them for you. Number one, come from being in the crowd to being totally committed. Number two, prioritize faith over family. Number three, your commitment to Christ is going to be costly. And number four, surrender to the Lord's supremacy. The way to enter the family of faith, my friends, is by receiving what Jesus has done for you on the cross. John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 say, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. My friends, the key is not who you are related to, but whether or not you have repented and received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Determine today to follow him as a devoted disciple for the rest of your life, because when Christ calls you, he bids you to come and die. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.